When I retired, with lots of newfound available time, I enjoyed many travel opportunities. This podcast may encourage you to visit, revisit, or experience virtual armchair travel, learning about exciting new venues. Travel is an excellent vehicle for lifelong learning. Welcome to the What Travel Writers Say podcast. I'm Mike Keenan, your host, and today we learn about Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Netherlands literally means lower countries, influenced by its low land and flat geography with only about 50% of its land exceeding one meter above sea level. It borders Germany to the east, Belgium to the south, and the North Sea to the northwest, sharing maritime borders with Belgium, the United Kingdom, and Germany. Since the late 16th century, large areas called polders have been reclaimed from the sea and lakes, amounting to nearly 17% of the country's current landmass. If water is excluded, the Netherlands is classified as a very densely populated country. Only Bangladesh, South Korea, and Taiwan have both a larger population and higher population density. Nevertheless, the Netherlands is the world's second largest exporter of food and agricultural products after the United States. This is partly due to the fertility of the soil and the mild climate. The Netherlands was the third country in the world to have an elected parliament, and since 1848 it has been governed as a parliamentary democracy and a constitutional monarchy organized as a unitary state. The four largest cities in the Netherlands are Amsterdam, Rotterdam, The Hague, and Utrecht. Amsterdam, of course, is commonly associated with canals, cannabis, and culture. Prior to an AMA Waterways river cruise that started and ended in Amsterdam, we thought it prudent to stay a few extra days in this bustling cosmopolitan city. I checked the internet daily for reasonable accommodations and also tried Airbnb's 300-plus listings for Amsterdam, all of which were booked solid. I checked Priceline and Hotwire, the latter a favorite. Finally, a sale posted on Hotwire offered an airport hotel at $40 Canadian per night. Too good to be true? At the outset, Hotwire does not list the specific hotel, but simply tells you approximately where it is and other hotels with which it compares. My experience is that airport hotels are generally quite decent, as is Hotwire, so I booked two nights. The hotel was the Dorint, D-O-R-I-N-T, where we got an early check-in from a pleasant young clerk. The room was clean, the bed comfortable, and the bathroom fine, with the same marble sink top as ours back home. The Dorrance Convenience Shuttle took us to Schiphol Airport in 10 minutes, from where we took a train, second class, to Amsterdam Central Station in 20 minutes, for 4.10 euros, or $5.74 Canadian. A little inconvenience, but we had lots of time, and we saved hundreds of dollars on accommodations. Just outside Central Station, we obtained iAmsterdam City Cards, a discount card that gives one free access to several museums, public transportation within the city, a canal cruise, 
and other small gifts and offerings, including a 25% discount at restaurants, car and bike rental, gifts, cheese, and multiple other tourist attractions. The cost, for 24 hours, 49 euros, and for 48 hours, 59 euros. We were determined to visit Amsterdam's key museums, but first we took an I-Amsterdam 45-minute canal cruise that allowed us to view the city from its multiple waterways and appreciate Dutch architecture, such as the gabled canal houses from the 17th century, the Dutch Golden Age, and myriad boats that either docked or meandered through the canal. The Blue Boat Company has a unique personal audio system, which provides every guest with commentary in their own language. It was a great overview of the city, nicknamed the Venice of the North, and an opportunity to take unobstructed pictures. Here are some fast facts learned about this enticing city. There are 2,332,773 inhabitants in Amsterdam's metropolitan area. There are 881,000 bicycles. 58% of the population cycle daily. There are 1,281 bridges. 2,500 houseboats, 8,863 16th, 17th, and 18th century buildings, 8 windmills, 51 museums, 22 paintings by Rembrandt, 206 paintings by Van Gogh, 55 theaters and concert halls, 1,515 cafes and bars, and 1,150 restaurants. Holland is not really an alternative name for the Netherlands, but rather the name of two provinces within the country, North Holland and South Holland. The government seat is located in The Hague, also the site of the famed International Court of Justice, even though the capital is Amsterdam. 17 million claim the Netherlands as their home, but over 20 million around the world speak Dutch. Afrikaans, an old Dutch dialect, is spoken in South Africa. Dutch is also spoken on islands such as Aruba and Curaco in the Dutch Antilles, as well as in the South American country of Suriname, a former Dutch colony. We took in the refurbished Rijks Museum after a short tram ride from the central station on tram number 5. It's an impressive building, and it was crowded. Inside, the paintings reflect the rich Dutch naval history, the mighty Dutch East India Company, the first multinational corporation in the world, and first company to issue stock, as well as the iconic Night Watch by Rubens, a huge centerpiece with people packed around it, as with the Mona Lisa at the Louvre and the Rosetta Stone in the British Museum. Our second day, now seasoned public transit pros, we visited the Van Gogh Museum and the nearby Stedelijk Museum featuring the Oasis of Matisse. The Van Gogh Museum later unveiled its new impressive entrance. Inside, I realized that Vincent painted many self-portraits, probably because of his poverty, and I learned an interesting story about an argument with his friend Gauguin, after which he sliced off part of an ear. Van Gogh painted what he saw, whereas Gauguin and others more frequently used their imagination. During this time, one of their dirt-poor compatriots in Paris, a chap named Picasso, based a painting upon Matisse's L'Odalisque Harmonie Bleue, Woman in a Harem. The Women of Algiers by Pablo Picasso recently fetched $179 million in New York, a new world record for the most expensive artwork to be sold at auction. 
Amsterdam packs a no-nonsense solid cultural punch, loaded with museums that range from world-famous collections to lesser-known hidden treasures. The first time that I visited, I wanted to take in some of the most famous, such as the Rijksmuseum, the Hermitage, Stedelijk, and Van Gogh, but it was the simple, almost austere Anne Frank House that provided me the most moving experience, given the heartbreaking circumstances of this young girl who died at age 15 after writing her famous diary. The Anne Frank House opened May 3, 1960, three years after a foundation was established to protect the property from developers who wanted to demolish the entire housing block. I enter it from the canal-side façade of the former Opecta building, sitting on the Prinsengrock Canal, an attractive setting for this narrow four-story edifice that contains the Frank's hiding place, or Octorhuis backhouse, located at the rear in an enclosed courtyard. From her diary dated Wednesday, April 5, 1944, I read the young prophetic words, When I write, I can shake off all my cares. My sorrow disappears, my spirits are revived, but, and that's a big question, will I ever be able to write something great? Will I ever become a journalist or a writer? Tears begin to well in my eyes as I think of my own two children. I knew the story. The ground floor contains three business sections for Otto Frank Anne's father. The front is his shipping entrance. Behind it, in the middle section, are the spice mills, and at the rear on the ground floor of the annex is the warehouse where materials are packed for distribution. On the first floor above are the offices of Otto Frank's employees, Miep Gies, Bep Voskudul, and Johannes Kleinman in the front, Victor Kugler in the middle, with Otto Frank in the rear, above the warehouse and below the floors which later hide him and his family for two years until ultimate betrayal to the Nazis. A secluded area made for an ideal place for Otto, wife Edith, two daughters Anne was the youngest, and four other Jewish people, all seeking sanctuary. The doorway to the annex is concealed behind a movable bookcase. Of the entire group in hiding, only Otto Frank survives the war. Anne and her sister Margot are taken from Auschwitz to Bergen-Belsen in October 1944, and they both die of typhus in March 1945, a few scant weeks before the concentration camp is liberated by the British. The house remains sparsely furnished, which lends gravitas to my tour, conducted in silence. After the arrest, all of the contents, such as the clothes, furniture, and personal belongings of the Frank family and their friends, are taken and distributed to families in Germany. However, before the building is completely cleared, brave Miep Gies and Bep Voskudul, who helped hide the families, return to the hiding place against orders of the Dutch police and rescue personal effects, most importantly the diary of Anne Frank, which subsequently becomes one of the world's most widely read books and the basis for several plays and films. Upon Otto Frank's return to Amsterdam, he is given Anne's diaries and papers, and he compiles selections into a book published in Dutch in 1947, entitled Het Acteurs, which Anne had chosen as the name of a future memoir or novel based on her experiences in hiding. When the diary is published, it becomes an instant international bestseller. 
Empty rooms capture the chilling atmosphere of the Franks' hiding place. Historical documents, photographs, film images, and original objects that belong to those in hiding and their helpers are carefully displayed to illustrate the events that took place. Anne's original diary and other notebooks act like sacred texts. Also on display is the Academy Award that Shelley Winters won for her performances as Petronella Van Dan in the movie The Diary of Anne Frank, in which she later donated to the museum. The museum attracts a million visitors yearly, which sometimes means long queues. Located in the center of Amsterdam at Prinsengrock 263-267, it takes 20 minutes to walk from the central station to the museum. Trams 13 and 17 and buses 142, 170, and 172 stop nearby at the Western Market stop. The museum is open 364 days a year, including Sundays, from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. on most days. In the high season, waiting times can be 45 minutes. The house is too small for guided tours, but there are free guidebooks available in 12 languages. A visit typically takes an hour. There is a museum cafe which serves drinks and snacks. You're not allowed to take pictures inside. When one exits and walks outside again along the canal during a sunny day, it's a sudden lesson in appearance and reality. The painful Dutch-Jewish experience looms large in the presence of a seemingly ordinary building that stands mute before you. For beer drinkers, Amsterdam has been home to Heineken since 1864. The multinational company is the third largest beer maker in the world, with 190 breweries. And for those who want to reminisce about the cannabis culture of the 70s, Amsterdam has more than 200 coffee shops licensed to sell marijuana. The official coffee shops have green and white stickers in the window. Although tourists are permitted to purchase weed, they cannot smoke it in public or export it. Because the Netherlands is so flat, it's perfect for biking and everyone here seems to bike daily as I watch businessmen in suits and ties, mothers with children in neat box-like structures, as well as adolescents all riding on dedicated bike paths throughout the city. The Dutch must be incredibly fit. Back at the hotel, it was quiet and we watched a bit of TV on many stations in several languages. When we were leaving in the morning, the Dorrit manager readily carried our bags down a flight of stairs, and we were off to Schiphol, a huge airport loaded with shops to occupy us before our flight home. To read my articles on Amsterdam, go to my website, www.whattravelwriterssay.com, and for pictures, go to my Pinterest boards at www.pinterest.com backslash mustang6648. We conclude each podcast with an appropriate travel quote. Today, it's from famous American poet Robert Frost, who said, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments, contact me at mjk6648 at gmail.com. Happy travels and tune in again next week for another What Travel Writers Say podcast.